You're listening to The Dice Men Cometh, broadcast live to air on Edge Radio 99.3 FM and proudly sponsored by LFG Australia. Good evening, everybody, and welcome to The Dice Men Cometh, episode 310, brought to you by our good friends at LFG Australia. Check them out. They're awesome. And this is your friendly neighbourhood, Leon, joined as I am by my friendly, in a slightly other neighbourhood, Garth. How are you, Garthy boy? I'm very well, thanks, Leon. And let's face it, my neighbourhood is a little bit nicer than yours. That is not true in the slightest. <laughs> it's just closer to the CBD, which is where all the plagues happen. So as far as I'm concerned, I think I'm doing all right. Anyway, what we do on this show, if this is for some reason the first time you're ever listening, maybe because of our illustrious guest, hint, hint, that's coming up in a minute, but we talk about all things board games, card games, role-playing games, and any sort of fun games that you can play that don't involve a TV screen, because there's lots of other podcasts for that, and they beat us on all the charts all the time. <sighs> <laughs> yeah, but we're the best looking. No, we can't take that one either. Well, we're going to say that because I'm not going to release the video for this, so people can just Perfect. assume. They can hear the voices and go, well, they've certainly got good voices. They're not great, which means they might not have faces for radio, so it's hard to say. Definitely. And as the old saying goes, good on the podcast, leave them alone. Yeah, sure. That's that's what Grandma used to say back Absolutely. when she used to podcast in 1992. Now, what are we doing on the show this evening, Garthy boy? Well, tonight, this is the first official Diceman Cometh podcast episode without Mark existing because, you know, we rolled him up in a blanket, threw him off the edge of the world, and for, unfortunately, he's still survived. I, I played Call of Cthulhu with him on Saturday afternoon. It was what? fantastic. He's living life to the fullest, playing a somewhat demented and a little bit touchy-feely Italian professor. Um, but Mark is enjoying semi-retirement from the board gaming world, which is nice. It is good. But tonight, Leon, tonight yes. we are very, very fortunate to be joined by someone who, according to their own website, loves everything about tabletop <laughs> games. So I can't imagine a better person on tonight's episode than Australia's own Dan May who by his gaming resume has had a finger in almost every gaming pie for the last decade or so. So, uh, so Dan, thank you very much for joining us from your bunker to ours. Thanks, guys. Good to be here. Yeah, excellent. How's things been in uh, lovely and uneventful Victoria lately? Well, as I was saying, I mean, I'm luckily in a beautiful little leafy suburb out here on the outskirts of town, so we're fine. We're fine. I understand. I mean, you know, it's it's a pretty difficult time, but but yeah, we're holding up well. That's good to hear, mate. Uh, very, very good to hear. Now, look, for those uh, listeners who have been living under their their shelfie of shame, who are you, and why why should you be on our podcast? Really, um, <laughs> I've been asking well, myself that question for a long time. Yeah, well, so have I. Uh, now I'm, I'm 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 an Australian, so that's a start. Yep. Um, I, I got into board games really heavily, probably about 10, 12 years ago. Uh, and before that I'd been a visual artist. So I'd played role-playing games as a youngster. And then as soon as I discovered, uh, the modern sort of, uh, collection of new board games that were coming out about 10 years ago, I just sort of fell in love with the, the hobby. And then just started to work my butt off to try and get into the industry and, and do some cool stuff. 
Uh, so as an artist, I started out freelancing and then uh, moved into game development, art direction. And then uh, now I'm in a position where I've um, worked on a lot of cool stuff with a lot of cool people. Um, and I'm really yeah, just sort of excited about what's next. I'm always sort of hungry to do the next, next cool thing. Yep. So, so I'm super excited about it. Lots of, there's a lot to go over as far as what I've worked on, but um, yes. games like Everdell, Black Orchestra, uh, the game we're talking about today, Primordial are games that I've sort of championed through from their little prototype stages <laughs> to the final product that you see on the table in front of you. Yeah, you've, you've, you've had a, a fairly established career and you know, it's only been going for 10 or 12 years in the gaming world. So there's a lot left in you, I'm sure. But but take us back to little Dan May, you know, sitting around the table and and falling in love with with games. You know, can you can you just remember sitting down as a kid and either playing games or, or playing role play and sort of having that that spark of of love, you know, ignited for you? Totally. Um, I can remember the, the story that I tell, a little story is that uh, one of my friends encountered Dungeons and Dragons on a vacation or something like that. And he came back to us and he was telling us about it. And we were like, what, what do you do? How do you play it? He couldn't remember all of it. So we sort of pieced together this kind of crazy version of Dungeons and Dragons just from our imagination. We were using, uh, you know, D6s and we were just inventing things as we went along. We created all these strange little races and there were creatures from Lord of the Rings in it and all these sorts of things. Awesome. And we just played that for probably two years, changing it. Oh, we'll add samurais. Well, you know, <laughs> there's ninjas now. And we just sort of added things to it. And then eventually the actual real D&D turned up at school. And so we begrudgingly let go of our little homebrew <laughs> and uh, started to play the real D&D. And I did that really heavily for probably 10 years. Yep. Um, and I'd played some board games. Obviously, as a kid, you know, like all of the games we all play as kids. But yeah, it probably wasn't until like 10 or 12 years ago that I just somehow stumbled upon Board Game Geek yep. and just <laughs> went down the rabbit hole and, and yeah, you know, just went crazy. I think Ticket to Ride and Carcassonne and, yep. and all those games just led to the next, you know, next game and... That's fantastic. Yeah, people keep telling me I should really try Ticket to Ride. I, you know, I don't really know why. I still have, honestly, Dan, I'm yet to play it. So I think that's all my credentials just out the door. Well, there was some inspiration from Ticket to Ride in the game that we're going to talk about a bit today. Right. Yes. Okay, that's there good. That means I won't have to play mm -hmm. it again. Uh, Ticket to Ride, I mean. Something I very much noticed, but I probably wasn't going to bring that up. Thank you for doing that, Dan, because it'd be lost on young Garth because he wouldn't have a clue. <laughs> Interesting. <laughs> So Dan, have you got the game that brought you into the proper, you know, hardcore world of gaming? Are you going to rattle off the same half a dozen games that everyone else does when they first get into this hobby and transition away from the ones you get in your normal supermarket? Um, oh, look, I think there was a period there, the first year probably where I got 12 to 20 games, Yep. you know, and played them heavily. Um, I loved the Days of Wonder stuff early, early on. So mm -hmm. Battle Law was a big one that I really, really enjoyed. Yeah, um, okay, cool. Uh, the Richard Borg game that was that was a mind blower as far as the production values of that went. You know the the number of miniatures that you got in it, um, just the general uh, art direction and illustration, just the potential there in, in it. And then I really love the Game of Thrones fantasy flight game. Yep, 
Um, yep. I remember course, at a BorderCon, you were there sitting around a table in a full six-player game or something for <laughs> most of the day. Yeah, yeah. I love <laughs> those sorts of games. I mean, actually, I, love, I do love everything about games, and that's, I think, partly because I do enjoy lots of games and a wide variety of games. Yep. Uh, you know, I enjoy the ones where you sit down with your mates for, like, six hours, play it, and then I also really appreciate, you know, the half-hour, quicker games. Yeah. So... So yeah, so I think more than anything, I just really, I really enjoy you know the innovation that comes up with games, and I enjoy the, um, I enjoy something that's a little bit different. I, mean, I guess when you first start out, it's like everything's new, you know, everything's original and amazing. So it's very hard to pinpoint exactly what game did it. It was more just sort of a flood of ideas that you know <laughs> that hit me at the well, time. Did you play the um, the original Lord of the Rings game, the one that came out about 10 years or so ago? Uh, I have played it. I didn't play it back then, though. Okay. Well, the reason I mention it only because I was going to mention it later on in the show is because it is one of those games that is supposedly sometime in the very near future getting an anniversary edition because that mm. older edition has, you know, mostly cardboard and, you know, the as you can tell, you know, the things that have evolved in our hobby over the last 10 years, it's now going to have minis and stuff and extra bibs and bobs. So that's something for everybody to look forward to. Absolutely. Yeah, I saw that actually. I was excited to get that. It's sort of fun, like, not having played a lot of some of those games because when they do bring out these anniversary editions, it's like, oh, yeah, now's the time I can get into yeah. it. Yeah, so absolutely. I'll probably pick that up. Well, let's talk about some of your games, Dan, because we've only got an hour. And hopefully we're <laughs> going to talk about some other stuff instead of, you know, we can't make it all just about you. No. So looking at your, at your own website, you really start from 2013 is when you're listing the games that you, you know, are, are active, actively involved in. Yep. And you seem to start pretty quickly because in 2013, you've got, you know, Villains and Vigilantes, Impact City Roller Derby, Formula E, Island Fortress, Chaos and Alchemy. And then one of our favourite games for a long, long time, Nothing Personal. Yeah, that's a hell of a way to start. You know, with your you know games that you're being involved in. How how was that dipping you straight into the tabletop sort of working world? Yeah, that was great. Um, that's that's a game by Tom Vassell. I'm sure everyone knows who listens to podcasts about games. Um, and that yeah, that was great because it was like immediately into the mix with uh, with the community, with Tom, with all the the different game designers i illustrated actually a lot of the game designer expansion for that so got to know like different people you know ask them what they wanted to how they wanted to be represented in the game you know those sorts of things Excellent. so it's a great game it was a great game for just ideas i guess for like dreaming up different characters and so it was a game that that i did art direction on graphic design I illustrated the cover for that, but there's actually a new cover in the new edition, which is really, really great. Mm -hmm. So that was just, it just felt like a really, really solid, fun, you know, communal kind of project, I guess, to start with. One of the, one of the coolest things about Nothing Personal, not just the fact that it's an awesome game, is that there's always been the classic thing of reviewers since the dawn of time is that like, oh, you guys criticize all the time, but why don't, why don't you do it? Why don't you do it? And then Tom Vassell went, all right, 
and designed one of the coolest board games ever. So, I mean, we didn't do that. God, I wish we did. But I always think that's funny that, oh, that's always good that when that kind of actually oh. happens. It's very rare that it actually happens, but he did it and he did it very well. With your yeah. help. Well done. Well, thank you. Well, there's still time, guys, for you guys, as we've discussed in the past. Oh, that's so. right. <laughs> yes, the infamous, yes. what was it? <laughs> wallpaper game, was it, that we came up with? Yeah, yeah it's a wallpaper was... game. There's another one I've got, and I've actually still got notes on it, so I can't talk about yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and now that you're freelance, Dan, maybe we can, maybe we can work exactly. something out. <laughs> Absolutely. I'm interested. It's intriguing. Absolutely. Uh, but yeah, the, but nothing personal is great. I just actually started watching The Sopranos for the first time. We're about halfway through it. Oh, wow. <laughs> so that's bringing back a lot of memories and you know, <laughs> characters and stuff like that from, yeah. from nothing personal. Fantastic. And did you find that that game again, like you said, it sort of opened you up to the, the wider tabletop community and, and was able to sort of start, you know, some, some professional relationships you were able to keep for, for years to come? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Like um, a lot of the designers, you know, that I illustrated or that were part of that, that whole kind of, cause I mean, I don't know if anyone you know knows, I mean, probably most people do, but most of the characters in that game were based on someone. Yeah. There was a lot of we want this person in the game, you know. Eric's summer has got a card, and everyone has a card, you know. Like, and I think, um, yeah, like obviously I haven't met everyone that that I illustrated, but there's a lot of people there that I went on to work with, and I and I went, oh, Richard Lornish, you know, I did Legends of the American Frontier with him, and then I went, <laughs> hang on, I illustrated him in nothing personal, you know. So even at the time, I didn't really realize, you know, who all the people were, I guess, because I was fairly new to it, but. It's definitely been fun to um to kind of put you know uh, names to the faces or faces to the names or to the caricatures you know yeah it's probably a bit easier once you've drawn them already and had them published <laughs> yeah well I've got the locations expansion over there somewhere that is yet to be taken out so we've got to got to get that to the table anyway on as part of the second edition that that came out so look you then look at this 2014 2015 where again you're just absolutely banging them out did you sleep at all you know during your first couple of years in this hobby because it certainly doesn't look like it from your back catalogue no not really yeah no. the the company at that time that i was working with um game salute at that time were just putting a lot of stuff out yeah um and i was i was the main uh person they called on for for art direction and eventually game development for those years those early sort of years where i was freelancing so I remember all the games and I'm sure you're going to say things and I'm going to think, oh, yeah, yep. that one. <laughs> <You know. laughs> well, um, the thing is we've got to limit it. As I say, we've only got an hour or so, so um, we can't talk about everything. But were you over in the States at this time working there or were you all doing this remotely from, from Australia? Yeah, this is all remote work at that time. Yeah. Uh, didn't get out to this. I went into Gen Con probably about five years ago and I would be out there for like two to four weeks for the convention and then for some meetings and things like that. Uh, but most of the work that I was doing was, was here. Um, and then in more recent times, I, I spent a little bit more time out there doing things, but no, it's all remote. And that's really, it's really, you know, what allowed me to, to do it, you know, as an Australian, like, yeah, it was a pretty big deal. I remember being a kid, you know, and thinking I would really love to work in role playing games, you know, like that's what I wanted to do when I was, 15 and then just you know it just was very very hard short of moving out there you know and i wasn't in a position to do it so yeah it really just 
made it possible. So as soon as I sort of found out that it was possible, I guess I just started to move towards it. Well, you clearly grabbed it with both hands. And even in those early days with uh, with GameSort, you certainly weren't bored because you decided, you know what we'll do? We'll also run our own Kickstarter, you and your brother by the looks of it, and, um, and launch this Polyhero Dice, which looked bloody cool, I must say, mate. That's been going for a fair old while now. Thanks. Yeah, yeah. There's a cleric set in the works. So it's been, uh, that's been really satisfying to do, especially like from a role player or role playing yep. fan, you know. Yeah. So for, for anyone who doesn't know, Polyhero Dice, do you want to give the, the little 30 second sell sheet and, uh, you know, why we should bother buying another, another set of role playing yeah. dice? Well, that's, <laughs> that's the trick, isn't it? Because these aren't <laughs> quite normal uh, polyhedral dice. So, that was really the pitch that we had was that, you know, you've got 20 sets of different colored polyhedral dice. Well, these are a little bit different. So they're all themed after uh, classes in Dungeons and Dragons or fantasy role-playing games. So there's a wizard set and there's a warrior set. And uh, the, so the D4 in the wizard sets like a little lightning bolt and the D6 is a fireball. And they're all balanced. We, we design them on computer and we make sure we get them all balanced and everything. And yeah, people people love them. I still like, you know, at conventions, people come up to us and, you know, sort of go, what a cool idea, what a cool idea. And I'm like, yeah, yeah I agree. That's really fun. Yeah, I remember looking at them whenever that, you know, one of the times they were on Kickstarter and clearly I was just too much of a tight ass to spend some money, but um, they do look cool. And if they continue to be, be made, that's pretty spectacular. So um, no, congratulations to, to you and your brother. Now, does your brother actually exist or is this just a pseudonym that you go under? Because you seem to do a lot of work with this guy on the same project. <laughs> um, yeah, well, I always have. You know, we've always worked together on a lot of things. Before I even got into board games, we, uh, we worked together as animators, animating uh, kids' TV and uh, like uh, medical animation together. Um, okay. And before that, we were in a band. So we're only two years apart and, you know, we tend to do things together so nice yeah that's good that's good you know mixing mixing the family and the, and the business is perfect yeah absolutely yeah, it comes really <laughs> naturally so look i'm just moving forward here to to 2017 and then this is where we've got you know we've got far light we've got fifth edition alien frontiers and alien frontiers again another mammoth game and, and a fantastic one on the table planetarium which we're going to um chat about tonight and then Black Orchestra as well, which, you know, as far as a year's worth of games uh, go, that's not a bad year you had there in 2017, it must be said, Dan. Thanks. Yeah, that was yeah. a good one. Um, that was sort of around the time when um, I was actually promoted or, or taken on full time to become like the creative director at Game Salute. So that was a bit of a, a sea change for me. So I went from being a freelancer, working as an art director, to essentially being put in charge of the games that we make. Mm-hmm. So, so I was tasked with uh, scouting games, finding, you know, working with designers, working with first-time designers, going to conventions, talking to people and, and developing the games, essentially product designing them from, from the ground up. So yeah. shortly after the Polyhero Planetarium was actually the first one that I did that with. Oh, cool. And then we had uh, Black Orchestra and through to Everdell, which was like the last one that I did in that that span of time yeah. and so that there that's probably the my kind of where I feel like my silver age or whatever was you know that's the that's the time when I felt like I went from 
going from game to game essentially and doing the best job I could and working with cool people to actually like curating the projects more and yeah. and deciding on really making games that I wanted to make, you know, and Primordial you know, and uh, Planetarium are the, you know, part of that process of, of just saying, okay, what do I really enjoy? What do I love? What do I want to see a game about? Yep. And selecting for those games and, and trying to work with the designers to make them as good as they could be. So yeah, it was definitely, a f that was a, that was a really satisfying time to be able to, to do that. So 2017, that was the year where we all first met face to face at Bordercon, was it not? 2017? It was either 2017 or 18. It might have been 18, yeah, maybe 18. Yeah, we yeah. might have met at PAX in 2017 when uh, yeah, that we were there. And right. I think we might have been on a panel together, Dan. Oh, yeah, that that's right? right. Yeah, that's we were on right. that panel. The, the winning side, of course. <laughs> did right. we win? Uh, I, let's just say we did. <laughs> yeah. right. So pretty much you met us and then just your career just skyrocketed even further from that is what I'm hearing. Yes, yes, you basically, yes. you, you've, you're very lucky in a sense that um, you're one of the very few luminaries that have shared a room with the Dice Men, let alone a microphone. <laughs> and um, there was a drink or 20 had. From what I recall, I don't really recall that well. And uh, ideas were thrown around. I'm pretty sure we came up with Everdell. It's hard to say. I really <laughs> I can't remember. But well, I guess we'll let you take that one. That's fine. But we'll get the next one. <laughs> but how did, how did you find the transition from, you know, not to trivialise it, you know, making things look pretty, to being, you know, the buck stops with you, I guess, really, in terms of, you know, picking up a, a game from a, a nobody and turning it into, um, you know, what is hopefully going to be a, a really successful proposition? Uh, well, it was an opportunity that I felt like was too good to turn down, yeah. uh, you know. Yep. So there was obviously a lot of uh, a lot of pressure around it, I guess. Um, the company actually wasn't in the best position at the time. Mm -hmm. uh, we had some bad reputation on Kickstarter and I, you know, was in that, coming into that, you know, through no sort of fault of my own, I guess, in a situation where we were going to have to really refocus the customers on the quality of the games and those sorts yeah. of things. So it felt like it did feel like there was a, a bit of a burden there to overcome some of that reputation. But, you know, I, I felt like that the, the team, you know, there was a small team, myself, um, Cody Jones, the graphic designer at that time, um, really just trusted our instincts, I guess, and just said, look, you know, we're going to really focus on on deciding to make the games that we want to make in the way that we think people will like them, I guess, trusting, really respecting the audience as best we could and saying, you know, look, we believe that if we put in the time and put in the time into the, developing these games, that we're going to get good results. Yeah, that's fair um, enough. And I, I, I do recall the the you know, game salute issues vaguely. I think, you know, there was a lot of delays or communication issues. I think, you know, a lot of backers were, were a bit grumpy. With, do you think that was maybe just part of the, you know, not to you know, put blame anywhere else, but it was part of the learning process for a whole bunch of companies with how Kickstarter was, was going to work as it grew and grew? Potentially, yeah. I mean, definitely. I mean, the company definitely learned a lot over the yep. years, I'm sure. I guess I can only really speak from my experience in it. And I was sort of just really... At that point, just really down in the trenches, just trying to creatively do cool stuff. Yep. Um, that was kind of like I felt like if if we can just make good games, make you know, concentrate on good quality, that hopefully the rest would sort of take care of itself in time. Yeah. Um, you know, and 
so yeah, I, I'm, I haven't really analysed the analysed the Kickstarter <laughs> phenomenon quite so much. You know, I've I've always just really based it on you know if you make something that's good and you kind of treat treat your audience with respect, then it should all you know work out in the end. Yeah, I think people uh, are yeah can be forgiving, and I guess as as you know a lot of us are now serial repeat Kickstarter backers, and we we know to expect the unexpected in some regards, you know, right. you can, it can expect that a game will be released in, in June and then it's going to come out in, you know, July through to God knows when, but again, looking at a quality from game salute and, and then onto Starling games, I guess I, I still remember opening up uh, nothing personal and just being amazed at the quality of that, the thickness of the, the money stock, the capo ring was just so cool. And, you know, I really went, okay, I, I can see where every one of my Kickstarter dollars has gone into that production. And it's sitting on my shelf, still probably in as good a nick as it was, yeah. you know, however many years ago. Yeah, that was a really good production. Yeah, I think, I mean, I think you're right. I think we always, you know, we're focusing on doing cool stuff and it's really just ironing out some bugs and, yeah. you know, over the years. Definitely. So look, Game Salute changes to Starling. Um, no doubt to, you know, try and, just get a little bit more of a, a clear delineation delineation from it all and starts again, smashing it out of the ballpark. And obviously the, the game that has grabbed most people's attention is, is Everdell. So how did you find, you know, this game, where was it? And, you know, how much work was it to turn it into to this glorious award-winning game that, that we've got now? Uh, it actually, that was a submission that came through to us. Yep. Um, on our website, it came through probably whew, maybe a year before we actually signed it. So what happened is it came through. We looked at it. It was it was a sort of a medieval town building sort of game yep. essentially at that time. I looked it over and I thought, you know, the mechanics look pretty solid. And I, at that stage, I actually had a a sort of a weekly schedule where at the end of the week I'd go back and I'd look at the submissions and I'd contact designers and things like that. So I got it earlier in the week and then I think I got back to the designer on the Friday, James, and he'd already accepted a offer from another publisher. <gasps> so, so that was cool. I said, all right, it's, that's, you know, that's fine. You know, obviously they get designers send it out to different publishers. Mm-hmm. And then about a year later, popped back up in the email thread um, and he'd worked with the other publisher and hadn't been able to get it to uh, where they wanted it to. So he'd come back and he'd, uh, we had a chat about, you know, expectations and about what he was looking for and things like that. And we said, okay, great. You know, we'll, we'll give it a try. Just, you know, just, can you just promise don't send it to another publisher while we (laughs) get around to playing it. Yep. And we did, we played it and we just, I mean, I thought this is something we can work with, you know, there was a, there's different sorts. I mean, there's different kind of feelings you get from games. So a game like a war of whispers, which is another one that I'd worked on and it's just been published that, that was really? more of a, awesome. <laughs> I knew Leon would be excited about that. I, I've, I've got I that didn't on my realize notes. that. I think I knew that completely forgot it. And now just remembered it and went, Oh, that's right. I just gave that stupid amount of money on Kickstarter. Didn't I? Actually, <laughs> cool. no, it was a reasonable amount of money. That was, was one of the good ones. <laughs> yeah. Cool. Thanks. Uh, yeah, but that, uh, but that, that's one where it was like, Oh, that's, that's innovative. That's really clever. You know, there's something different about that. I really like that. You know, so I was, I was inspired by that 
for War of Whispers, whereas with Everdell, it was more like, this just feels, it feels familiar and it yeah. feels like what I love about Euro games and card play and build up. And it's just, it was just sort of, it wasn't blow your socks off, but it was just that kind of like, I want to kind of play this again, you know, I, I want to sort of delve into that. Yeah, I can get that feeling because we yeah played it a couple of times, not for a while, it must be said, but it, it you know, you can just picture yourself playing it you know, on that Sunday afternoon. You know, obviously it looks beautiful on the table and, you know, you've got your hand management, you've got your tableau building and it's, uh, it's really cool and the build-up is nice. Then you've got those red, really mean cards that are just thrown in there just to keep you on your toes. And I think we had a little chat about those cards at some point previously. Um, but, yeah, there's, there's certainly enough in there to keep it interesting, that's for sure. Leon? Thing about Everdell though, for I, what I reckon you need, I reckon you need some expansions for it. <laughs> <laughs> they take up a whole shelf on my Kallax Everdell, which I'm happy to have. <laughs> I didn't see that coming when I first started playing it. <laughs> uh, so look, I mean, obviously it's it's been a you know a really successful game, critically awarded, including the Kangaroo Awards. So congratulations again on on that. But yeah, you've you've sort of decided to to cut loose of the shackles of big business and and freelance again. So how does that feel to now be you know just footloose and fancy free? Yeah, it's it's great. So you t- I spoke about uh, working with my brother on games. Mm-hmm. So I actually met my wife uh, developing Everdell, which was you know amazing. And and she's she's a game developer as well. So she. She worked on Everdell um, and, and some of the other games we worked on, and we uh, yeah we've decided to um, to sort of strike out on our own and and cool. continue to explore new horizons as far as games go, and it feels good. I mean, really, you know, being able to to pick and choose the sorts of projects that you work on is a real luxury, you yeah. know. And I don't know how long that will go on, but I really you know hope that we get to do that and. I'd love to be able to, you know, maybe develop and design some of my own games in my own time and and work just, you know, work with um, a whole range of publishers, you know, and I've met a lot of people in the industry that I would love to be able to work with and, you know, we've met, I'd love to work on role-playing games, things like that, things that we haven't necessarily uh, had a chance to work on. So, yeah. so yeah, so it's really, uh, it's, it's an exciting sort of change for me. It's... Yep. Yeah, I mean, it's definitely refreshing. It definitely feels like, you know, I guess getting to the point where we, we did Everdell and we did the expansions for that and A War of Whispers uh, really felt like, in some ways, it's not, not, you know, it's not climbing to the top of the mountain, but, you know, when you have a game that's that successful, it sort of, in some ways, makes you sort of reassess, okay, I've sort of achieved kind yeah. of what I'd been trying to do over the last three or four years as far as, you know, to try and make that publishing division uh, viable and make everything successful. So yeah, it was good to sort of reassess and sort of get back to the basics and try and reconnect with what I really like about making games and why I'm doing it. Yeah. And, and Brenna seems remarkably talented having a, having a quick look at her website a little bit earlier ago in preparation for this. seems like she can do a bit of everything really. She's incredibly artistic and and creative too. Absolutely. Yeah, Yeah. 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 She's, She's always sort of surprising me with how quick she is to pick things up, and you know, <laughs> like I'm. There's yeah, there's a lot of things she can she can do better than me, and there's only a few things I can do better than her. <laughs> <laughs> well, look, we'll we'll, we'll uh, I'll ask you one more question before we start talking, or maybe we'll take a little break before going to to talk about planetarium. 
So thinking back of your, you know, your last 10 or 12 years being actively in this, this hobby, is there a game that you passed on or you went, nah, I'm not going to be involved in that. And you no, know, it, it's now just a burning regret that you've got there. And you thought I should have, I should have been involved in this one. Uh, no, there's not actually. Wow. Um, yeah. I mean, I think, I think really what it is, is like when you take on a game, you know, like a lot of these games are like really at about 50% when I see them. And so you don't really, you don't really know, you know, you don't until you actually get in and work on it and, and develop it up into something more. It's sort of like, you know, you make it kind of like what it is, I guess, over over time with working with the designer and the artists and, and everything. So no, I can't think of anything. It'd be good to have a story, but I can't, honestly can't think of one. have to make one up. Yeah. When you were given the rights to glory to Rome and you said, nah, no one will like that game. Nah. <laughs> no, I'm pretty sure what Garth was fishing for there was the, um, the uh, yes. as we talked about, the, the Dice Men Cometh wallpapering game, which we spent two hours of a car ride talking your ear off about as we come up and we were all hungover as hell driving back into the Melbourne CBD. I mean, you seemed enthusiastic at the time, but after you left the car, I was never heard from again. So I'd, I'd say that was the one that got away because, yeah. you know, that could have, was that before Azul came out? No, it would have been before afterwards sadly damn it yeah. <laughs> could have said we had basically a zoo and then we just threw it away but no oh, well. i can i can still remember it all so there must be there something go. to it yeah. <laughs> definitely that's that's exactly right there's a hook in there so look we are going to take a little break and then dan if you don't mind sticking around we want to have a chat about planetarium which is a game leon and i had the pleasure of playing only a couple of weeks ago so yeah you can tell us about your involvement in that and what you think of the game as well but we better cut to a break, Leon. Uh, yes. This is The Dice Men Cometh. It's episode 310, and we are very proud to be sponsored by LFG. So if you need to purchase a game, and don't we always need to, please go to lfg-aus.com.au, and we will be back after this break. Hello, everybody. It's your friendly neighbourhood, Leon, here. Just a quick break in the action to remind everybody how you can interact with The Dice Men. Of course, we are on all those social medias so things like your instagrams your facebook your twitters we're on all of them at dice men cometh you can also email us at the dice men cometh at gmail.com that's a great way to get in touch with us for things like asking any type of questions but also sponsorship we've been doing that for several years now with various different promotions and ads and you can be involved in that too if you like also if you wish to help the dice man cometh you can get onto itunes and chuck us one of those cheeky five star reviews it helps people from around the world get to listen and we've met some great international listeners because of that so the more you can do that the merrier and if you would like, we also have our Patreon. You can go over there and chuck us a few bucks, completely up to you. Even if you threw us a dollar a month, you would not notice out of your bank account, but we certainly would. If everybody listening to my voice did that, we would be happy as Larry. And we use that money to good effect. We use it to get to various different conventions all around Australia. It ain't easy getting around this big old country that we have, but we manage and we do it because we want to meet you and play as many games as possible. Or you could jump over to redbubble.com chuck in the dice men cometh and have any of our merch with our logo on it we've got t-shirts we've got hoodies there are mugs there are heaps of cool stuff over there i've got quite a bit of it and it all looks grand so with all that being said thank you very much for listening 
and supporting us over the years. We absolutely love doing this show and hopefully we'll be doing it for a long time to come and your support is one of the main drivers of that. So feel free to get in touch about anything to do with board gaming or anything whatsoever. But enough of my chit-chat, back to the action. Well, there you go. That was arguably probably us. It was probably just an ad. It wasn't a song. If it wasn't us, it was someone else talking about how good we are. So you're back with the Dicemen Cometh, proudly sponsored by LFG. Leon and I are joined by special guest Dan May. And Leon, you would like to talk about a game. I do. Speaking of Dan May, I've got a little book in front of me right now that has his name written on it. And a Greg May. And then Dan May again. He's all over this book. Amazing stuff. I'm still not convinced that Greg actually exists. No. We're stuck between two Dans here, so who knows? All right. What is this book? Is this Life According to Dan May and Greg May? No, no. This is the rule book for Planetarium I have in front of me. And it's a very small rule book because there's not heaps of rules in this game, which is a good thing. It flows very well, as we're about to explain. And the thing I really like about this rule book as well is that the last couple of pages just gives you a bit of science about the solar system and planetariums in general. Because why not i like that i like a bit of flair added well, flair get it because they're in a they're a solar system thing as well. and definitely understanding the whole of the solar system will only take a page or two i guess so that's yes good. give or take well before i started chatting about this i wanted to ask you garth and maybe dan as well um what's the dic- dictionary definition of a planetarium because i've got them both in front of me mm-hmm. uh, somewhere where you keep your your pet planets so that they can grow nice and healthy and you, you water and feed them Excellent, excellent. Um, that's that's definitely one of them, almost word for word. I right. didn't realise you worked for um, Oxford Dictionary. Uh, Dan, what do you think it is? Uh, a board game by <laughs> <laughs> Dan and Greg. Yes, excellent. Also very good. So it is, most people would know it as a domed building in which images of stars, planets and constellations are projected for public entertainment or education. However, that is obviously not what this game is. This game is more the second definition, which is a clockwork model of the solar system or the sun, earth, and moon, and various other interstellar shenanigans. It doesn't actually say shenanigans in the dictionary. I added that one. So what is this game? Stop mucking around, Leon. So in Planetarium, uh, a new solar system will be born, forged from swirling masses of matter that orbit its stars. Players will take part in this creation moving tokens to simulate gravity and the acceleration of matter, then crashing them into planetoids that have already begun to form and life will come from there. Cards will be played that evolve each planet in significant and varied ways, from scorching ones in barren wastes to transforming others into potential nurseries for life. The goal of Planetarium is to be the player that best guides the formation of this new planetary system in their own vision. During the game, players earn points by playing cards that evolve planets in different ways. While doing so, they also manipulate the final state of the solar system to earn points by playing cards that can also be played on their final turn to lead them towards victory. Now that sounds like fun. I like leading towards victory. Did you win the game we played? You probably didn't. Oh, Yay! Any which way. It's just because I was so expertly taught by you, Leon. Yes, thank you very much, which we have an interesting story about the way someone teaches this game, which I'm sure Dan will find <laughs> very interesting. So as Dan mentioned earlier, um, this game does have quite a bit of DNA with something like Ticket to Ride. You could actually argue that for people out there that like Ticket to Ride, which Garth, I hate to break it to you, is 
everyone in the hobby, I'm, I'm afraid. <laughs> um, you could argue very much that this is like interstellar ticket to ride because on your turn, it's so very, very simple. You're pretty much doing one of three different things and that's moving a planet around to get some resources, moving a resource into a planet itself or playing a card from your hand. And you do that to gain points and change various different states on the board and the way things work. And then that's pretty much it. But as the game goes around, once it gets to about the halfway point, it starts to speed up and planets can move around a bit more haphazardly. And it's just fun had by all. I agree. Um, yeah, I was really impressed at how simple and how quick this game was to, to be taught and then to actually learn and obviously master, yeah. um, <laughs> having, having beaten a, you know, a couple of people at least. Yes. But look, I mean, it's very simple. You've got, you've got this you know, top-down view of a solar system with a sun in the middle, and I think you've got six concentric circles there where planets and matter are going around. And you're spot on, Leon. You move a planet into a thing or you move a thing into a planet using the resources, which is the, the minerals or the elements or whatever it is you pick up. You then try and spend them to, I guess, terraform one of the four different planets where you're you're making the planet habitable for life or not habitable for habitable. And then in the last little bits of the game, primarily, you're going to be playing these uber powerful cards that hopefully get you all the points. And unlike the previous cards in the game, which have got element criteria, a lot of these more powerful cards have got situational criteria where planets need to be on certain orbits the planets might need to be either habitable or uninhabitable and it it's amazing how quickly this game goes from oh yeah i'm just going to pick up a thing and figure it out to oh my god the game's going to be over right now i need to make sure i do all the things that i thought i had so much time to do dan (laughs) is that deliberate (laughs) Yeah, it is deliberate, yeah. So, I mean, this one was one that we were pitching really at the mix of hobby gamers and kind of science astronomy fans. Mm-hmm. Yep. So we were really conscious of making a game that, you know, wouldn't overstay its welcome, that was simple to play, you know, turn turns went relatively quickly and things like that. Yeah, so it was, was kind of deliberate. And we do have in mind that maybe... You know, an expansion would be something that would extend the playtime, which is what the expansion does. Yeah, so we'll get to that expansion in a second. But yeah, I just wanted to mention from a visual standpoint, the board itself with just this concentric circles with all the, the different tokens on it and the planets on the corners. And it's a really clean design as well that everything on this board is exactly where it should be. And it's exactly the amount of stuff that you have. So I definitely have my hats off to that, that you've done a absolute belting job with the team to get that one sorted out because nothing worse than getting a game where it's so muddled and there's stuff on the board that probably doesn't need to be that doesn't add anything this looks clean and as you said it looks all board game fun as well as sciencey fun as well which is something that i'm a big fan of but something that you might like to know dan that the first time i ever played this game was at pax i believe last year i want to say um, and yeah, I, it was while I was in Sri Lanka, which yes. is why I wasn't able to be at PAX. Yes, that is very true. Um, we played this with uh, former Dice Man Mark before we um, we double tapped him, put him in the carpet and threw him off the bridge. And <laughs> we were taught this by somebody who played it once before, but quite a long time ago. And they roughly remembered, but couldn't quite. So we got the setup slightly wrong. And then what we did slightly wrong in the setup is that every token that was on the board was face down. 
Okay. Not face up. <laughs> but interest. So in other words, you're supposed to know, okay, I want this token. There it is. Here's how I'm going to move it. We had no idea what any of the tokens were at all. But funnily enough, oddly enough, it still worked. It ended up being probably three times as long as the game that me and Garth and friends played once we got a new <laughs> copy of this. But it was so much so that after finishing, I was like, that game was really good. I enjoyed that. And then looked at the rules and went, we played it completely wrong. <laughs> well, there you go. So just the, <laughs> that's how good your designs are. Um, just to let you know that you can make the rules wrong and still have an enjoyable time. I think that that's a feather. You put that on your resume, sir. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> so as you mentioned, there was an expansion which came out there the next year, I believe, which is Planetarium Primordial. Now, sadly, me and Garth haven't had a chance to play that. We had it all scheduled, but things come up. So Dan, can you please talk us through how Primordial adds to the game? Sure can. Uh, so it does make the game longer. So a big part of uh, the game is that now... If you play with Primordial, you can you don't start with any planets. So if you remember from from, uh, from Planetarium, there's two gaseous planets and two rocky planets. Mm -hmm. Well, with Primordial, you're actually just starting with these little protoplanet meteorite type uh, objects going around and around the sun, and they they coalesce in the first part of the game and eventually will form a gas planet or a rocky planet. So you could end up with a game where you've got three gas planets and one rocky planet rather than the mix of the two. Um, and it also extends out the game at the end. So now there's a late bombardment stage, which is a, a stage in solar system evolution when the planets are formed, uh, but that's when comets are hitting the planets and bringing water to, to the planets, things like that. So there's comet tokens that come into the game then. So the game sort of lasts probably about 15 minutes longer. Which in a game that, as we said before, that's so easy to teach that we, I taught Garth and several other people and we taught it and played it in about half an hour. 15 minutes is completely fine. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, and, then, uh, and then there's also a Frostline expansion. So there's a couple of other little additional modules that go into it. So the Frostline works, it's positioned between orbits three and four. And now, depending on where you play a card to a planet, will either add uh, cool tokens or cold tokens or will add heat tokens to the planet. So the planets are evolving not only through the cards that you're playing, but you're also placing these little heat and cold tokens on the cards. And the planets are like warming warming up and cooling down, um, which is making uh, making life more likely to to evolve or, or not. And these are these are things that that we worked with the um, the scientists, uh, uh, Dante Loretta and James Lewis, are both NASA scientists that we worked with on the original game. And we spoke to them. We actually had a brainstorming session with James, I think, James Lewis about, uh, you know, what are, what are some ideas that, you know, or, or things that you felt like the original game could have said about uh, planetary evolution that it didn't. Yep. So it was really just... Um, taking some of the rules that we had in the in the base game that were sort of a little bit more abstracted and making them a little bit more explicit and actually ex creating mechanics that that worked a little bit more like the science does you know I mean, it's obviously very hard in something so abstracted but that was always our goal with this game was to make something that played really smoothly but you know could be used as an educational tool as well 
Yeah, well, I, was, I wanted to ask you about that. Did you find an extra level of complication or challenge when you're trying to make something educational and fun <laughs> rather than just fun? Uh, no, I mean, I think, I think like for fans of astronomy or people that like space science, you know, like part of the fun is the educational aspects of it, <laughs> you know, yep. seeing the, you know, the crazy possibilities and, and learning about, you know, the, the origins of the solar system are things which, which, uh, you know, have their own inherent kind of surprising coolness to them, whether or not they're educational or not. <laughs> um, so I think the subject matter definitely, definitely helped. I think it would probably have been more difficult to, you know, take a subject matter that was like, okay, here's something kind of boring, make an educational game. That's fun. You know, about it. I think space exploration and space itself, there's so, so much inherent interest there in creation, full stop. Um, yeah, I'm not surprised. Now, the art, uh, again, on all of the cards is pretty spectacular there. Is it, is every piece different? Is it all unique? Yeah, every piece is different. Yeah. So yeah. that, so that was, um, that was my brother, Greg, who exists. True, <laughs> um, <laughs> I can and, see his uh, name, it's written right here. There we go. Yep. Uh, and yeah, we worked really closely together to try and marry up the the graphic design and the art. So you, you'll notice like there's no frames on the cards or anything like that. So we mm. work together to say, okay, so where do we want the space to exist on this card so we can put the symbols? Um, all the, you know, right from the, the box design through to the board design, the card design, like it was very much like, uh, you know, really planning out every single kind of detail. And we worked with the scientists on trying to find art that, you know, reflected some of these, some of these concepts and, and uh, yeah, everything, every single card's unique, which is, you know, still some of my favorite board game art from games I've worked on. Uh, it's pretty spectacular. And again, you could quite easily put them all up as a montage, you know, on, on your wall and make a poster on there. They are just absolutely beautiful pieces of art, you know, in themselves. And look, just talking about the gameplay, as, as Leon said, the, the speed of being able to teach this game and being able to pick it up and immediately just knowing what you have to do. The, the fact that the game eases you in by, you know, the congestion on the board where every single space is taken up by either a planet or an element, it's, it's an easy progression into the gameplay because your options are really limited at the start of the game and as the game progresses, it ties in really nicely with the fact that you are understanding as a player, oh, this is how I'm going to do, you know, this very simple card. I'm going to be able to just put oxygen and something else together to, to get some points and then planning my strategies for moving other planets around. So the, the learning curve within the game is, is really well paced, but I was amazed at how quickly everyone's attention switched to end game. It, yeah. it felt like we were just settling in and already the, the, the track that you, you use to sort of, um, I guess, keep the game pace there fills up so quickly and you're just going, ah, I don't have time yeah. to do things anymore. Yeah. Yeah. So I should say like uh, the designer of the game, uh, Stefan Vichon was really, really great to work with. And, and those, those sorts of pacing things that you mentioned, I mean, those are the things that we worked with uh, Stefan to, to develop basically. So a lot of people, aren't really sure what the difference is between design and development in board games. And so Stefan 
you know, designed this great game. It was a great idea. It was actually a co-op game originally. Okay. Um, and it, it was a little bit longer and, and the turn sequences were all sorts of different. And so working with Stefan, what we, what we really wanted to do was to get that pace happening. Um, things like the final uh, evolution cards, the way that you have them in your hand and they come into your hand and you've got to sort of decide, okay, what point do I start to take these into my hand and sort of clog up my hand, but, uh, you know, take away my options for playing cards of planets, but then give me options with final evolution. So the whole exercise of developing the game was really about just trying to tighten up that, tighten up that gameplay to make it just very, very tight and easy. And that's where we, you know, we did, I did mention Stefan several times, you know, Ticket to Ride, like this is sort of like what we've got to try and get it to, you know, we've got to tr keep honing it up and, and just shuffling things around until you just get that flow happening. Okay. Um, well, obviously Dan likes it, understandably, because he did work on it. Now, we might just mute him for a second so me and Garth can slag it off because obviously <laughs> this is all a ruse. Um, no, we'll give our quick final thoughts on it. But, yeah, no, I... I really liked this game and there was a reason after I played it the first time completely wrongly as everyone should know by now. Um, I was still interested in the design and the idea of it and that's why I reached out about getting a copy of this one and its expansion and um, I'm really glad that it did. It's one of those games that um, if we did a list of like, I don't want to say hidden gems but it's a game that I must admit I hadn't heard much of beforehand and since I played it's kind of like I don't know why this isn't ironically up there with Quantum which is another game set in space that's kind of like why is this not on everybody's shelf i don't know so yeah mm -hmm. no it's a game that i strongly suggest and considering you know a lot of people around the world at the moment you're locked inside with your family and you're trying how am i going to teach these kids and also not be bored out of my scorn well get your hold of planetarium and there you go bob's your uncle you'll be able to keep them distracted for as we said only about 20 minutes but you can play it over and over again garth <laughs> what do you think Oh, look, yeah, I was really pleasantly surprised because you look at it and you go, okay, this is going to be an abstract game, but I, I knew nothing about it. I, I knew the name and I knew that Leon was going to teach it. So with those two things, God knows what can happen. <laughs> um, but playing it right, we were able to get it over and done with really quickly and you could easily just sit down and play it again yeah. and you would get a totally different experience just by the random nature of the elements the order of the cards, the strategy you want to choose, um, and obviously with with an expansion thrown in for, for good measure. So, no, I could seriously see this being played with very, you know, middle school age kids as, a, as an educational tool, and it's short enough to be able to play in a science lesson as well, which is, is handy. So, no, I, I was really pleasantly surprised with this game. So, no, congratulations to Dan and, and Stefan for, you know, what is a nice, simple, yet compelling game. Yes. Thank you, guys. Here, here. So I like it. A thumbs up from all of us, including his designer, funnily enough, one of his designers. <laughs> uh, right. So enough of kissing your butt there, Dan. We're going to talk about other people now for a second. Uh, but first, we're going to cut to a quick break and we'll be right back. So this is The Dice Men Cometh, proudly brought to you by LFG-AUS.com. Check them out, send them all your money and tell them The Dice Men sent you. Hi, I'm Jamie Stegmeyer from Stonemeyer Games, and you are listening to the Dice Men Cometh podcast. And welcome back to the Dice Men Cometh. That was someone with something. Um, episode 310, Leon. Yes. You've been looking forward to more of 2020 existing for some reason. Is that right? Aren't you really just, well, as they say, put up the Christmas tree, 
call it a new year and yeah. move on to 20. Well, I think we can all admit that the first six months of 2020 have been uneventful. Not much has happened in the world or anything at all. But the next six months or so in 2020 are looking to be quite good, especially in the board gaming world. So I wanted to look at about 10 or so games that, from what I've read, are still looking to come out and hit the tables and be delivered to people's front doors and your friendly brick and mortar within the next six months. So at the top of the list is a game by a little company by the name of Stonemeyer Games. Have you guys heard of them? I don't, probably not. Mm, no, not for a while. Yeah, no, okay. Uh, anyway, their new game, which is, as of speaking today, is number one on the BGG hotness, is the new game called Pendulum. And don't need this to is the game you- of competitive grandfather clock construction? Exactly. That's exactly what it is, as I always expected Excellent. it to be. Now, I don't actually have much information about this one because it's a new game from Stonemeyer. People are probably going to buy it regardless. So, <clears throat> absolutely. There you go. They've got another Yeah, and it won't be on Kickstarter, so you've got to buy it through other ways. You've got to buy it directly through Stonemeyer or through their, their affiliates, which, again, is that, you know, for a, a relatively large company to have had such success with Kickstarter and gone, nah, don't need you guys anymore, mm. um, you know, people are still buying his games. Next up on the list is um, Elizabeth Hargraves, who came out with a little game recently called Wingspan, which I'm pretty sure none of you have heard of, so we can skip straight past that. Uh, <laughs> she's got a new one coming out from AEG, and um, she's gone past birds. She's sick of birds. She's done with birds forever. So she's going as far away from birds as humanly possible to butterflies. <laughs> ah. <laughs> yes, a natural, <laughs> obvious next step in a game called Mariposas, which is, I believe, a Spanish word for bug-type things. So, okay. Yeah. So well, I dare say it'll look kind of pretty as well. It does, and there are lots of butterfly tokens, which we've always asked for, and now we're finally getting them. Uh, <laughs> then we have yet another small game. I know I'm talking about these obscure games that nobody's heard of, but it has to be done. Someone's going to champion them. Uh, Pandemic, which I don't know why I'm bringing that up. No one should probably bring that up. <laughs> if it's <this was> on <laughs> YouTube, we'd get demonetized for saying that. But yep. Pandemic series... Garth, series what? Series zero. Yes, that's right. It's not series three. It's series zero. So it's looking from the little teaser trailer they've put out that it's going to be a prequel to um, season one of Pandemic where, you know, the world kind of went to hell in a handbasket. Funnily enough. Yep, things happened. Yeah. So it'll be interesting to see how this game plans out and how it goes from there. But I'm sure it will do very well. And I, I like the look of the box. It looks cool. That's for sure. Have you played the legacy versions, Dan? No, I haven't. They're sitting on the shelf and I've been thinking about playing them and then, I don't know, I just couldn't get into it for some reason for the last <laughs> six months. Yeah, I can't yeah. imagine why. can't imagine why. <laughs> then we've got another game. Again, I apologies for talking about all these obscure games. Gloomhaven. So we've got Gloomhaven, was it the, the Jaws of Lions? Yeah, Jaws of the Lion. Yes, which I must admit, as someone that has been rather sceptical of Gloomhaven in the past, that it's not, I don't think, is the greatest game ever. I have looked at that a few times and gone, maybe that's the version I should buy and try again, but I'm not sure. I it, think it's probably the, yeah, it's it's a, yeah. the version to get if you don't want to commit 100 billion hours of gloom, of time to Gloomhaven, I reckon. It's also got some um, upgraded, like, slight rules and stuff in the way it teaches the game that are probably going to become standard in another version of Gloomhaven, which is supposed to be out before the end of the year, which is Frosthaven. 
which is yep. the big, again, a hundred mission kind of proper expansion sequel to um, the original Gloomhaven, which I'm going to show is take the world by storm. Now, Dan, you were talking earlier. Um, you agree with me that Gloomhaven is just garbage. Is that correct? <laughs> Uh, I actually have not played that no. either, I'm afraid. Wow. And, and it is for that same reason, just because I know the, yeah. the amount of commitment that it would take to do it. But I have heard good things about uh, Jaws the Lion, is it? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I've had a friend um, recommend that to me, so we probably will pick that up. Yes. Yeah, I think it's a good, a good tip. But what I have found is really beneficial for Gloomhaven is actually going on and doing table, uh, Tabletop Simulator because it... It is probably the game where having it virtually replaced the, the physical game because it just yeah. gets rid of all the uh, all the tedious setup. Right. Um, and if you've got the right group of players, it's so much easier to get around in a, a Zoom-like environment uh, and play as opposed to just sitting around a table and it taking just so long to set up. So yeah, okay. it's right there on Tabletop Simulator if you want to give it a go, as is, I think, Frosthaven and probably Jaws of the Lion too. Okay. Cool. Right. Oh, another few ones. Now, I tried to stay away from Kickstarter ones because, you know, if you hear this and you go, oh, that sounds amazing, you probably can't really get it at the moment, but you might be <laughs> able to if they come to retail not long after the Kickstarter backers get theirs. Uh, that being said, most of the rest of them probably are Kickstarter, so I failed miserably. However, <laughs> so we've got Seventh Citadel, which is the sequel to Seventh Continent, a game that we enjoyed from years ago, but again, a game that was just unbelievably humongous and seven citadels is going to be no different i believe yeah oh look i really like the idea of seventh continent but i just had enough issues with it that i would much rather have played gloomhaven for more more and more i think there was just a few issues with it so if they've tweaked it i think i'd be interested yeah replaying video games is annoying backtracking is never fun in board games when you have to do the setup and stuff yourself even less fun, kind of how Correct. the reason why Time Stories, which was a great idea and had some great stories, kind of as the stories went along, the sequels came out, it kind of lost its luster a little bit. Exactly. What do you got next, Leon? Then we have a game that's possibly my most look forward to for the rest of the year, but that is for just theme alone, and that is the Bloodborne uh, board game based off yeah. one of my favourite video games in the last 10 years or so. Uh, they've done the same, and it's by Eric Lang, and they've also done the Dark Souls board game beforehand, so they learned a lot from that, put it into this new one. It's got a Pasquillian minis, all based off awesome designs from an awesome video game, and it, I can't wait. Awesome. Yeah. I'll play it with you when you get it. Yes, I'm sure you will. <laughs> uh, now, there's two games uh, from the same company that I'm going to mention. One game has a very simple name, and the name of that game is Fort, because, you know, it's just that simple. Whereas the other game, I have to check here and remind myself, because it's got such a ridiculous name, because it's Oath. Oh, I've lost it. <laughs> Garth, what is it? Be professional. I don't know. This is your one. I've only got one game I want to talk about because I'm guessing it's not going to be on your list. It's Oath Chronicles of the M Chronicles of Empire and Exile. So these are both by Leader Games. So they're in the same kind of design and world as your 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 root, root. as well as your Crystal Caverns and things like that. So these guys are kind of taking the board gaming world by storm at the moment. Uh, Dan, yeah. why have you not got into bed with these guys? They're cracking it out of the park. <laughs> yeah, well, maybe. Can now. <laughs> Ooh, yeah, you can. Ooh, there's a scoop. <laughs> you heard it here first, Dan, eh? New acquisition. <laughs> um, yeah, so the Fort is a much more of a 
lighthearted kind of kiddie game. Not kiddie game, but a lot more lighthearted. It only takes about 20 to 40 minutes according to this, whereas the Oath one is a much longer game. But it has a really interesting concept that um, I'll let people find out for themselves. But basically, it's a game that you could play solo five or six kind of games of it or missions, if you will, and then invite a group of people around to continue playing that kind of campaign that you're on and jump into a four-player game. And then people could the next day jump into back to a two-player game. It's a really interesting concept from a design point of view. Awesome. Sound cool. Yeah. Uh, We are getting a remake of a game from before Leon was born, I believe. The Dark Tower is supposed to be out before the end of the year. And, I mean, that's... They don't say nostalgia makes money, and they proved it. (laughs) Yeah, they sure did. It made all the monies, didn't it? Um, And looked pretty cool. I mean, you didn't back it, though, Leon, did you? No, I probably should have, but it didn't. (laughs) (laughs) But I'm looking forward to it because it does look cool. So I'm sure somebody around us will get their hands on it. All right, now I'll just quickly go through the last couple. So we've got Sleeping Gods by uh, Ryan Lowellcat. Because that's, yep. that's how you pronounce his name, as far as I'm concerned. <laughs> um, a man who's done many, many good games in the last several years with Above and Below and Near and Far, just to name a few. Uh, Dan, yet again, why didn't you work on this game? What's going on? <laughs> uh, I would love to. I love his stuff. Yeah, it's very inspiring. I love that blend of story and uh, board game. So that's something that I have an ambition to get into so you never know oh, very much like yourself that's why i mentioned he's one of a one-man army so which is good to see uh then we've got two that are again kind of set in a video gamey type of world we've got a new version of small world which is being released for the first time oh, really? in a long time it is based on world of warcraft okay so small it, world of warcraft yeah so it's basically the same game they might have updated the rule book updated a few rules possibly from years gone uh, but it's got all Warcraft races in it, which are kind of similar to the ones from the original Small World anyway. They're just more... Yep. You know, but the art style is really cool and cartoony. And that and it will like, open up to thousands of other people who will buy it. Exactly. Tens of thousands and thousands Not and hundreds a bad of thousands. Thing. And one that I'm very excited about that I played at PAX last year, it's finally getting its a release, is a Metal Gear Solid uh, board game that I got to play last year. And it was... Very good. Anybody out there that's sceptical that has played those games before, uh, this board game is definitely worth it. It's based off the original PlayStation 1 game. Oh, you can hide in a box? Uh, I believe you can. Yes, you can. Better be able to hide in a box. And there comes all lovely little minis of all the iconic characters from that. You can play as, you know, the four different main characters. You know, Snake, Grey Fox, Otacon and Meryl and go against all sorts of crazy missions. And that's one of those things that I believe that the first mission you play, you actually play solo as just snake to learn you do that and you learn how the game plays and then whoever did that then pretty much teaches their friends how to play the game by doing the next mission with the multiple people which is a really cool idea and it makes sense considering when that game first starts you're just snake and nobody else is around and it's scary that's right yeah and then the final one before garth throws in his is a game called imperial struggle and I definitely a struggle when I tried to explain to Garth earlier the game <laughs> I was talking about because this Imperial Struggle is a sequel to one of the most successful board games critically in board gaming history, which was Twilight Struggle, yes? Correct. Because earlier I said, I think, Twilight Imperium and then Imperium Struggle. Mm. I got so confused. Yep. So it's set in, I believe, the 18th century England versus France, but it is very similar type of gameplay with the cards, with multiple things. And it looks very, very cool. 
Cool. I'm looking forward. I like the sound of that. Yeah. Excellent. Well, the one I wanted to throw in there is Cosmic Encounter Duel, ah. the two-player sort of version of Cosmic Encounter because I'm really curious about that. I've got a copy coming, hopefully, in the next month. Month? I don't know. But just having a two-player version of Cosmic Encounter just intrigues me. It may be garbage. I hope it's good, but I just I have no idea, but I must buy it. Yeah, I don't know how it humanly could work, but it's been done. Yeah, that's And from the very early things that have come out people seem to be quite high on it so that's all I'm who interested. knows yeah interesting all right yeah what about you dan is there anything you know of coming out soon or maybe something that's coming soon with with your name wrapped around it i'm not too um sure. i don't think i can talk about the ones that i've got in the pipeline uh-huh. but um there's a game there's a game at the moment on kickstarter that brenna did some work on um called role player adventures she did some oh, yes. development for that mm. that looks really cool I play tested that a few times and that's kind of in the Gloomhaven kind of category. Yes. Very big box, lots of stuff. That's fun. Uh, and there's another one that um, Brenda did the Kickstarter for called Ascension Tactics, which is out at the moment. Yes. Which if you know Ascension, the deck building game, mm-hmm. um, yep. that's adds tactical miniature play into that, which is kind of cool because, I mean, I'm not a huge minis gamer, but it sort of seems like a nice kind of gateway to get into sort of minis gaming if you're not into it, I think, to be able to do the deck building on the side. Interesting. Um, so there are two that I've encountered that I'm kind of looking forward to. Awesome. That is good. Well, Leon, we better wrap this baby up because mm-hmm. I've got to go to bed. Yeah, that's probably a thing that you guys have to do. I don't have to because I've got <laughs> night shift tomorrow night, so I'll be up to the wee hours of the morning. So um, thank you very much for joining us, Dan. It is an absolute pleasure to see you either in the real world or over this. Is there anything you would like to plug while you're here or how can people find you and and the the glorious things that you do? Thanks. Uh, So you can find me at www.quillsilver.com. That's the name of uh, our new freelancing uh, studio. That is an amazing name, by the way. Well done on that. Thank you. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And then you can find me on Twitter as at GameArtCreative. Lovely, lovely, lovely. And get onto Polyhero Dice and spend all your money as well. As I'm sure, as I said to Dan in the break, uh, most of my D&D group will be after I shared the link with them earlier tonight. (laughs) (laughs) It's got to find him. That's the problem. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, Dan, look, uh, thanks so much for joining us again, mate. It's uh, it's been a long time since we saw you in that car trip to and from uh, BorderCon several (laughs) years ago. Yeah, congratulations on on being freelance again and being out there doing all your own stuff and and welcome back to living in Australia after after being overseas for a little while as well. The the Australian game scene is better off for for you being in it um, locally. So no, it's really nice to to spend some time with you again, mate. And we're we're really excited to see what the future holds for for you, for for you and Brenner, for uh, for the new studio. It's um, hopefully exciting times ahead. Thanks, Garth. Thanks, Leon. That's awesome. Not a worry, mate. We're happy to have you back happy and healthy. Just like everybody out there, hopefully, that is listening, take care of yourself, take care of your loved ones, and, yeah, just be be as safe as you possibly can. And, Garth, what do you reckon we do this again in about a fortnight's time? I think that sounds excellent. Yeah, I mean, we've done it 310 times, so why not? (laughs) Yeah, this has been episode 310. So thanks again to, to Dan May. Thanks to... 
Leon as well for, for doing some research this time. It's really nice. <laughs> and of course, thank you to, to LFG for their continual support. So if anyone is interested, please go to lfg-oz.com.au. Listen to our previous episode where we had Charles Bishop, the owner and the man at LFG. So um, that's just all I need to say about the sponsors. And, and yeah, this is episode 310 in the bag. We better go and plan 311, eh, Leon? That sounds like a thing we're going to do. So... Good night, world. Bye. Bye-bye. You've been listening to another episode of The Dice Men Cometh, proudly brought to you by LFG Australia. Be sure to check out lfg-oz.com.au for all the details of their flagship events, LFG Sydney and LFG Essen Unplugged, as well as their online and physical retail store. You can find us at dicemencometh.com or on Instagram, Facebook or Twitter, And don't forget, you can support us on Patreon too. Thanks for listening.